Prabhupad Paramahamsa Parvidaka Charja Asto Tarasthat Sri Srimad Divine Grace Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupad Ki Jai Jai Om Vishnu Pad Paramahamsa Parvidaka Charja Asto Tarasthat Sri Srimad Divine Grace Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sadaswati Goswami Maharaj Prabhupad Ki Jai Ananta Koti Vaishtavrind Ki Jai Sri Nam Charja Sila Haridas Thakur Ki Jai Prayam Sakao Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Sri Vasudhi Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai Sri Sri Radha Krishna Gogopanas Shaimakun Radha Kun Giri Govardhan Ki Jai Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai Sri La Prabhupada Ki Jai Kuranta Raj Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai Gaur Primanandi All glories to the assembled devotees all glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Sri Gauranga. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So thank you all for coming. Today's class in uh, Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, 10th Canto, text, uh, or the chapter 16, text 12. Bear with me, I think it's still here somewhere. Here it is. Ata Braje Mahat Patas. Trividha hi atidarunaha utpetur buvi divi atmani asanaha baya samsinaha atabraje mahot patas Trividhahi yati darunaha Utpetur buvi divyatmani Asana baya sangsinaha Atabraje mahat potas Atabraje mahot patas Trividha hiati darunaha Utpetur buvi divyatmani Asanaha baya samsinaha Atabraje mahot patas 
Shri Utpetur buvidiyat mani, asana baya sangsinaha, Mothers, you can do it. Come on. No? Ata, then, Braje, in Brindavan, Maha Utpataha, very ominous disturbances. Trividha of the three varieties. He indeed. Atairunaha most fearsome. Utpetu arose. Buvi upon the earth. Divi in the sky. Atmani in the bodies of living creatures. Asana in imminent. Baya danger. Sangsinaha announcing. Translation by Srila Prabhupada. In the in the Brindavan area, there then arose all three types of fearful omens: those on the earth those in the sky, and those in the bodies of living creatures, which announced imminent danger. So I say, and you can repeat, in the Brindavan area, there arose all three types of fearful omens. Those on the earth, those in the sky, and those in the bodies of living creatures which announced imminent danger. Purport by His Divine Grace, Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. Have we passed? I was wondering the other day, have we passed? Okay, this is by Ridananda Maharaj. Yeah, he had a lot of help, so his disciples, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Purport. According to Srila Sridhar Swami, the omens were as follows. 
On the earth there were disturbing tremors. In the sky there were meteors falling. And in the other bodies, oh, and in the bodies of creatures there was shivering as well as quivering of the left eye and other parts of the body. These omens announced imminent danger. Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunitananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Sri Vasari Gorabhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So once again the verse uh, in the Vrindavan area there then arose all three types of fearful omens those on the earth those in the sky and those in the bodies of living creatures which announced imminent danger. So we can, uh, we can kind of picture what's going on here if we think about it. This, is like, this would be like the most colossal movie of all time if they could do it properly. So uh, what's going on? What's happened to peaceful Brindavan? Huh? Krishna has found this lake uh, in the Jamuna River. There's a wide part where the, the river gets really wide. And uh, there's a lot of uh, evil deeds going on. There's something not happening properly here because the vegetation around this, this lake has, has died out. You see, birds that fly over this lake suddenly go unconscious and they fall into the water and die. It's because it's become poisoned. There's tremendous poison in this lake. The poison's strong enough to kill the vegetation around it. It's strong enough to kill any life that comes in contact with it, as well as the vapors that are coming up. The trees that are hanging over uh, the lake, they're being killed by this vapor. The birds that fly over, they're suddenly becoming uh, unconscious and falling into this poisonous water. Uh, so Krishna has realized that there is this big snake. Actually, there are many snakes that are living in this uh, 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 lake. It's a river, river lake, a river that flows and makes a lake and then flows, flows on. So um, Krishna didn't call the posse. You know, he didn't call the sheriff. He didn't uh, appeal for the army or anything. Krishna, being Krishna, typically, as he, as he usually is, uh, he got a little cocky on the on the I say always say on the Krishna side of cocky, <laughs> and he and he jumped right in. Everything else was dying, but Krishna jumped right in. And when he hit the water, he started flailing around like a mad elephant, just making great disturbances. Uh, he was making the waves of the water uh, go off onto the shore. When Krishna hit the water, he hit with such force that it said uh, the length of a, approximately a hundred bows, a hundred bows for, you know, for shooting arrows. The water expanded outside the lake, uh, the, you know, a hundred bows all the way around the lake. So a tremendous amount of water came out of the lake when Krishna hit it because of his potency. So Krishna's in there and he's just, uh, just being Krishna, 
just being cocky and, and teasing. So all the serpents in the lake, there were many of them, they became very agitated. And the, the head serpent, uh, Kalia, this great thousand-headed uh, poisonous serpent, uh, he became very agitated. So immediately he thought, you know, who is this? I don't know who you are, but uh, let me tell you something, buddy. This is my lake, and uh, I'm Kalia, and I don't allow anybody in my lake unless I invite them. So you're going down. You know, that was his attitude. I'm taking you down. And so he looked over at Krishna, and he could see Krishna's fine features, his beautiful face, and, you know, he looked like sweet Krishna. And he thought, oh, this is going to be a snap. This is going to be so easy. <coughs> so with great confidence, uh, overconfidence, Kaliya swam towards Krishna, lightning speed, swam right up to Krishna, and what's the first thing he did? Huh? What's the first thing he did? He bit him right in the chest. He just swam up to Krishna and, you know, this thousand-headed, gigantic serpent, and this little cowherd boy, and he just bit him right in the chest. So uh, the inhabitants of Vrindavan, they really didn't think of Krishna uh, as anything other than just sweet, lovable Krishna. <clears throat> he was their darling little boy. And they, uh, they knew Krishna was exceptional. They knew he was something, maybe a demigod. They didn't think of him as the supreme personality of Godhead. To the inhabitants of Vrindavan, Krishna wasn't God. In Goloka Vrindavan, Krishna is not God. Now, you could say, well, yes, he is, but they don't see him as God. There is no need of God. There's no need of God when you have Krishna. Now, this may sound a little confusing. If you want God, you might want Narayan. You know, Narayan, you can worship as God. You can give him awe and reverential worship in so many forms. But if you want an intimate, loving relationship, then we have this Krishna, you see. So Krishna is not uh, in Goloka Vrindavan, in Gokul. He's not worshipped as God. He's not really... Uh, Actually, I was talking with Jaidwaita Maharaj, and he was saying, uh, well, in, you know, in, in Gokul, in Goloka Vrindavan, Krishna doesn't get any respect. You know, it's like that comedian. There used to be a comedian. I don't know if he's still alive. Rodney Dangerfield, he used to have this act where he would say, I'll tell you, I don't get any respect. And that was, he did it every, every time, you know. He's probably dead. You guys are, everybody except for Japanese, too young to remember this guy. This was a long time ago, so... But anyway, Krishna didn't get any respect. <clears throat> Jai Dwayta Maharaj and I were laughing over lunch. That he was like, like Rodney Dangerfield. He's never got any respect. People, as a matter of fact, many times he got chastised. You know, the gopis would chastise him. His mother would chastise him. You know, she would whip him with a stick when he was naughty, tie him to a grinding mortar. You know, so he wasn't God to them. So they thought of him as their dear, loving little Krishna, the cowherd boy, the loving cowherd boy. And as a matter of fact, when he would go to the forest to take the cows, uh, sometimes his mother or the gopis would worry. You know, Krishna's not wearing any shoes. What if he steps on something and hurts his foot? You see, they were worried about Krishna constantly. Why were they worried about Krishna constantly? What's this called? <clears throat> 
Krishna consciousness. Thinking of Krishna always. See, but they're always thinking of Krishna. I'm thinking, uh, one may think, be thinking, well, you know, while Krishna's gone today, I'm going to wash his cloth or I'm going to prepare some nice meal for him or I'm going to clean his house or I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to make him some nice new uh, garland when he comes back. After he takes his bath, I'll give him a fresh new garland. Uh, it was a funny thing that Krishna said last night. You know, when we were together, Krishna said this funny thing. And then it's this morning at, at breakfast, Krishna was saying this and it was... They're always thinking constantly about Krishna, you see. Not in the form of, well, well, you know, you better think about Krishna or, you know, he's God. If you're not thinking about him, you're in trouble. You know, something bad will happen to you if you don't think about Krishna. You see, it's not a control thing like that. It's just purely out of love. <clears throat> the gopis and the inhabitants of Vrindavan just love Krishna, you see. And they thought of him as just beautiful, wonderful Krishna the object of their love and affection. And they could think of nothing else. You see, these are all very special souls, special pure devotees, and expansions of Krishna, you see. So they're worried about Krishna every time. If they're worried about him when he goes out into the forest, if they're worried that he might step on something and hurt his foot, they were certainly worried when, and I think it might have been two or three verses back, how it was described when they saw Krishna in the water and then he got bit on the chest by this massive serpent and then the first thing the serpent did was coil around Krishna, you see. So they didn't think, well, he's God, he can handle himself. No, they, were, they wanted to cry but the tears wouldn't come. They were so shocked. Can you imagine how shocked you would be if you went to cry? And, and scream and cry out. You, you saw something so horrible, so terrible, that you went to make some big sound to cry, but you couldn't even get any sound to come out. You see, they were horrified. They were terrified to see what was going on. They wanted to go into the water. First of all, they thought, well, you know, Balaram didn't go to the forest with Krishna today, so he didn't have any protection. You see? So the inhabitants of Vrindavan, Mother Jashoda, wanted to go into the water and save her Krishna. But Balaram held them back. And he said, no, it's okay. And they're like completely shocked. They're, they're, they feel as if their life is over. They feel as if they have no life. I have no life. I will, I will cease to exist because of what's about to happen here. This giant serpent is going to kill Krishna. Everything is finished. The world is useless. I am you. Everything. The, everything stops because they didn't see anything outside of Krishna. You see? It's not like they had their hobbies, you know, or uh, satellite TV or something, other interests, outside interests. You see? They didn't have anything but Krishna. And so, as far as they're concerned, they felt like their world is over. You know, it's over, it's finished. What's going to happen? What will become with me? It can't be good. So they were horrified. So they were terrified. So, um, of course, the first thing Krishna did after he was coiled and coiled by this giant serpent is he decided, uh, all right, it's time for me to retaliate. It's time for me to be Krishna. You see? Actually, Krishna was luring the snake in. 
You know, he didn't want to go chasing this snake around. So pretty beautiful little Krishna was bitten by the snake and he wrapped around Krishna. So Krishna started to enlarge his body. He swelled. You see. And the snake had to release him. Snake, he couldn't hold on to him. And we're talking a very gigantic snake. So what did Krishna do after that? After he swelled and he got rid of, the, he got out of the, the grasp of the snake, what's the next thing he did? He hadn't got there yet. We're still in the omens of awful things happening. Danger signs. All right, I, I shouldn't go, I shouldn't leap ahead, can I? I got carried away in the story. Thank you. I space out sometimes. <laughs> yeah, what's next? So anyway, we're at the point uh, to where Krishna has been bitten and he's held by the, uh, this horrible snake, this Kaliya. And so, uh, by the way, anyone who hears this story, for those of you who uh, attend this, these classes and hear this narration, it's said that you'll never be bothered by snakes when you hear this story. So it's very interesting. Uh, it's a whole chapter. Some people say, well, you could just take, you know, you could, you could say this in a paragraph. You could tell the story in a paragraph, you know. But there's a lot to it, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of thought to what's actually taking place here, you see. So the inhabitants of Vrindavan <coughs> are worried about their dear Krishna because he's all they have. So this is a, 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 a pure description of what it's like to be Krishna's devotee, his pure devotee. Now, from time to time, people may say, well, you know, I really try to think about Krishna a lot. I try to think about him all the time. But I'm not very good at that, you know. I find many times when I'm not thinking about Krishna, you see, I'm, not, I'm just not. I'm thinking I have so many other things that I have to do. So, uh, and all of us have something we have to do during the daytime, whether it be a job or some service. You know, I see Radhanath's out here, and he's digging in the parking lot. He's on this big uh, heavy machinery kind of tractor, and he's digging, and, you know, so he's out there doing that. Now, if you're doing something like that, let's take that as a for instance. Let's say you're on a, on a big tractor, a backhoe, and you're out in the sun and you're digging. You know, how can you think of Krishna? How do we do that? Yeah. Yeah, you could say, well, you're digging Krishna's parking lot, so I can think about that. I can think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing service to Krishna. So in that way, you're thinking service to Krishna is Krishna. You're associating with Krishna by, service, by serving him. So you, you are. You're being Krishna conscious because you're doing it, you know, you're doing it for Krishna. <coughs> but what about if, what if you have to go uh, work in an office or a store or something or even a factory? How can you think about Krishna there? How is that possible? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So he knows what his purpose is. Srila Prabhupada describes you may have two workers, say for instance in an office, and one, they sit next to each other. You've got a cubicle here and a cubicle here. They do the same job. They get the same pay. They have the same education. One is a devotee and one is not a devotee. But this one is living his life for Krishna. 
there was, uh, I don't remember, I saw someplace on the internet some news article that I thought I would read, and I found it very interesting. <clears throat> Most of what is on the internet is, is, is uh, I would say, pure garbage, but there's nothing pure about it. It's just garbage. But once in a while, you find a statistic that is something that you can use in your preaching. And they had done uh, some university, big university, was curious, and it was all done for money, for profit. They were curious on what ethnic groups are the most successful because they wanted to study and see who are the su successful people in, in business, who's making the most money, and then figure out how do they do it so that we can tell others and everybody will start making money. We'll sell this information. So what they gained after, after doing this great big study, uh, what they learned is that the two most successful ethnic groups in America were the Jews and the Indians that come here from India. They were consistently successful. Now, you may find other, uh, other uh, uh, ethnic groups, and you have some of them that are doing very well. But as, a, as an average, you know, they may have many people who are just middle class, many people who are low class, whatever. But of the Jews and the Indians, they had the most highest percentage of people who were upper middle class to uh, upper class. And they couldn't find out, figure out why, so they studied it for a long time, for, for years, to figure out why. And the only thing that they came up with is that in both of those classes, in, in those groups, uh, the Jews and the Indians, they considered their work and their religion as the same. You see? The Jewish people thought, this is, my, this, is my, this is part of my religion. This is part of my offering to God. And so did the, uh, the Indians. Of course, now at, at that point, you know, the Indians can't swell up and say, oh, just look at us. We're so important. Are they doing it uh, to, because they love Krishna? They're thinking of Krishna when they're doing it, but they're doing it for punya. They want punya, you know. I do for you, my dear Lord. You give me, you give me, I want uh, wealth, riches. You know, we can see as we walk in the streets of Vrindavan or Mayapur, we can see the shop owners, uh, especially in the afternoon, I've noticed it. You know, that during, in, in India, from about 1.30 to 4 o'clock, it's kind of like Mexico or uh, in Italy they do it. It's kind of like siesta time. You know, either, if the shops don't close, then the shop owner, a lot of times, they'll just lay down and sleep right there in their, in their shop. And you can wake them up if you want to buy something, but they're napping as you walk by the shop, you know. So, uh, and then at 4 o'clock, <clears throat> or thereabouts, it's generally right around 4, uh, they get up, and it's not uncommon at all to see people performing arti in their shop, isn't it? Then they'll... Do a little RT to the cash register, open the cash register up to the money box and offer the incense inside <laughs> to the Ganesh, maybe a little Krishna, you see. So it's just, that's very common. That's life in India, isn't it? So uh, are they doing this uh, because they love Krishna and they, they can't th think of anything else but Krishna? Probably some are, but we can see that for the most part they're doing it for the, the kickback, the punya. You know, I want something for this, you see. Uh, 
And that's, that's the downside of most of what we refer to as religion. You know, I go to you, God. Hello, my dear Lord. How are you today? Okay, have you got a pen and piece of paper? Because I got a list for you. Here's what I need from you. Okay, ready? Ready to write? Or do you want me to write it down? I mean, if I have to write it down, I will, but you're God. I mean, you could at least have a pen and be prepared. All right, so first I want this, first I want that, you know. Give me, the, give me, the, the, give me this day, or my daily bread. Prophet says, why are you asking for daily bread? Daily bread is there. Daily bread is there for the squirrels and the tigers and the rabbits. Why do you ask God for daily bread? You see? Why are you asking him uh, for this or that? Or You see, we approach God and we want something. I want something from you. The residents of Vrindavan didn't want anything from Krishna. They wanted to give to Krishna. You see? They wanted to do for Krishna. They didn't care about anything else. They cared only about Krishna, and they really didn't think of anything else, you see. So it wasn't like, you know, well, my dear Krishna, we'll, I'll fix you a nice garland or wash your cloth or fix you a nice meal, and I know you're going to remember me someday, you know. Give me a little kickback, you know. It, typically, all of us, I know if I'm speaking for myself, when I was... Uh, thinking about becoming a devotee of Krishna, I started to think after I had analyzed it that this would be the best thing for me to do. For me. This would be the best thing for my spiritual future. This would be the best thing for me. And I started to preach to others in that way. You know? You don't want to stay in the cycle of birth, birth or death, do you? The best thing for you is to get out of this cycle, you see? And that's okay. We preach to people who are in that consciousness. You want to escape birth and death? You want to get off this merry-go-round of repeated birth and death? Then you need to take to this process. But along the way, we have to come to the consciousness, sooner or later, that we're not doing this for me. I'm doing this for Krishna. At some point in our life, we have to make that bridge where we stop thinking about what I want. You see? We don't go to Krishna and say, okay, Krishna, here's my list for today. You know, I want daily bread, a new car, this, that, blah, blah, blah. You see, we go to Krishna. Well, the devotee will get confidence somewhere along the way that, you know what? After practicing this bhakti yoga for all these years, I feel like I'm Okay. You know, I'm an eternal living entity and Krishna has promised that if I surrender to him and just serve him, that I have nothing to worry about. So I don't have, I don't, I, I'm, I'm okay. So I don't have to worry about me. He's the supreme controller. He's the source of all sources. Everything's coming from him. So I'm, I don't feel like I have to worry about or to strive hard to make money or to do whatever, you know. He'll take care of me. You see, at that point, that's kind of like a, a pivotal point. Then we start thinking about, if I'm okay, I don't have to worry so much about me. And ultimately, we'll get to the point where we won't worry at all about us. Uh, then we're concerned about, what does Krishna want? My dear Lord, 
How can I serve you? What, do I, what can I possibly do for you? So then the devotee spends his time uh, walking around wondering, what is your plan? What is your plan? What do you want? What do you want me to do? The most valuable knowledge that we can ever get is what does God want you to do? Personally, you personally, not as a, you know, as the whole, a group of people. What do you, what does he personally expect from you? What would it please him for you to do? Now, how do we find this out? This is valuable information to have. How do we get this? I mean, this is the most valuable thing you can ever learn, ever, in all of your lives in this material world, millions and billions of lives. How do we find out? Hare Krishna Prabhu. We, we, we surrender to the words emanating from the lotus mouth of your guru. You take shelter of Krishna's pure devotee. He has taken shelter of Krishna's pure devotee, and his only desire is to serve Krishna. And he knows what Krishna wants him to do. <clears throat> and he can tell you what Krishna wants you to do. Otherwise, if we don't do that, then we can speculate. You see? And when we speculate, we're not really going to uh, end up doing anything that Krishna wants us to do. We're going to figure out, well, you know, I really like to do this, so I think Krishna would want me to do that. I mean, he gave me the talent of being a musician, so I think he wants me to be a musician for him. That may be true, but it's speculative, you see. I have a talent of being a sculptor, so I'll sculpt for Krishna or I'll paint for Krishna, you see. In other words, I like this. I have this talent and I like doing this, so... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it as an offering to Krishna. That's very nice karma yoga. It's very nice. But it's not bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga is my dear Lord, what would you like me to do? I remember uh, talking with Tamal Krishna Maharaj one time and uh, we were talking about uh, things that we had done before we became devotees. And uh, he said, well, I used to like to play the flute he was a very accomplished, uh, what's that word, flautist. Very accomplished. In New York, he learned and he played uh, jazz. He was very good. He practiced. His mother bought him lessons and he, he would go uh, regularly for lessons. And uh, <clears throat> I said, well, I never knew that. I've never seen you play the flute. I said, my knowledge, you don't even have a flute. He said, well, I gave it up when I became a devotee. I said, really? After all those years of practice? And he said, yeah. I couldn't see how to use it in Krishna's service. First of all, you can't chant and play the flute at the same time. So, and up until then, it was his favorite thing to do. But he got swept away with serving his guru. And his guru told him other things to do. You see, Prabhupada tells us what he wants us to do. Your guru is telling you what he wants you to do. You see, we just have to listen, we have to pay attention, and we have to start thinking like that. Really, really, Krishna, what do you want me to do? What would please you? You see, 
Now, that kind of seems like a sacrifice in the material world, uh, and that's all we understand until we get advanced in Krishna consciousness. The only thing we really understand is the workings of the material world. You see? We've been here so long and we've been conditioned. We understand the laws of the material world, and that's all we understand. You see? And it doesn't make any sense according to the laws that we know that if I try to please you, that will make me happy. That'll please me. You see? It doesn't work in the material world. In the material world, if I want to be pleased, well, I'm not going to wait for you to do it. You're not going to try it. I'm going to have to do it myself. You see? And I'm going to try to manipulate you for some enjoyment and manipulate our uh, relationship for some enjoyment. I'm going to try to manipulate all the material energy for my enjoyment. You see? There's, even, there's some saying about that, you know. What is that? In business, they have this saying, you know, you, you know, help yourself. You know, do it for yourself. And, of course, maybe some charity. I'll help the poor a little bit. Once I get my punya, I'll do good. I'll be a nice guy, and I'll work hard, and I'm expecting money. I'm doing and And then I'll throw a little bit to the poor or maybe donate to a, if I'm real rich, I might build a hospital with my name on it. You see? So, yeah, I'll do for others after it's done for me. First, me. You see? Let me get my daily bread, and I might give you a couple of crumbs. But first, I've got to have mine. You see? That's the way the material works. And that's all we understand. So we're trying to get into a whole new consciousness, the laws of the spiritual world. You see, we're starting to try to become self-realized into who and exactly what we are. We're an eternal living entity, and eternally we're a servant of Krishna. Any other, if we think that we're anything else than the servant of Krishna, what is that? Yeah, but in the form of what? False ego. False ego is, I am, and you finish that sentence with anything other than an eternal servant of Krishna. You could say, I am an American, that's false ego. I'm a musician, false ego. I'm a baseball player, false ego. You're none of these things. You know, you're living a movie. You're live, live, living a dream. You're making up a movie. And we see people that are like that, you know, as we travel around, we see some people... <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> they're trying to make a statement as they move about in society. They may be wearing like a football jersey, you know, Dallas Cowboys football jersey with some player's name on the back and a number, you know. So I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I like this player on my back here, you know. I'm identifying with that. Well, you're not. First of all, you're not the body, you know. You're not a Dallas Cowboys football fan. You may think you are, but you're not. You are an eternal servant of Krishna. You always have been, and now here you are trying. Right now you're thinking you're a human being, but you're not. You know, the dog is thinking he's a dog. He's convinced that he's a dog. You see? But all these living entities are not. They're wrong. They're all... <clears throat> excuse me, they're all living their um, 
what I like to refer to as their own personal movie. You see, they've got this vision of themselves. You ever, did you ever have this happen to you? That you're walking along, uh, maybe a city street, and then all of a sudden you look into a shop, you know, as you walk by, and you see your reflection, and you realize, well, maybe that doesn't, that reflection doesn't seem to match up with my movie that I have, my vision I have of myself. You see, I'm seeing this chubby old man all wrinkled and, you know, falling apart. And I was thinking I'd look like Brad Pitt when I'm walking down the street. I think I'm young and fit and handsome. You know, then all of a sudden you suddenly see your reflection. You think, oh, that's me, you know. Or some people may think they, they see themselves in a mirror and think, oh, hey, I, I look pretty good, you know. See, I'm looking, at, they think I'm looking at me when they look in the mirror, they look at their reflection. I mean, you're just looking at this temporary uh, body. And, you know, we can't emphasize enough the nature of this temporary situation. I mean, we're talking completely and totally temporary. So short-lived that in the grand scheme of things, it, pract- it almost never happened. If you're in this body for 100 years... In the grand scheme of things, in, 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 in eternity, if we can have some concept, it's hard to think of eternity because that's kind of out of the, uh, the consciousness we have as materialistic uh, persons. It's hard to imagine eternity. But if we can give some concept to eternity, a hundred years is so short that it's just practically nothing. You know, 10 billion years ago, let's say you lived to be uh, 200,000. You lived 200,000 years. That's still insignificant to an eternal living entity. It's all of this that's going on is totally insignificant until we take up bhakti yoga. We take up service to Krishna and Krishna's devotees. And then up until then, everything we've done for billions of years and births has been pretty much just a waste of time, just going through the motions. It's us playing a movie. You're thinking you're a bird or you're thinking you're a fish or this kind of human or that kind of human or whatever, you see. So this Krishna consciousness means first and foremost realizing that we're not the body and that we are an eternal servant of Krishna and beginning to serve Krishna on a constant basis, seeing that everything we do is for Krishna. Now, some people may say, well, no, shouldn't we serve the devotees? Serving the devotees is serving Krishna. Actually, Krishna says that's even higher than serving me. You serve my pure devotee, you get much more, you, you get m- much more points with me than you serve me directly. You serve the servant of my servants and their servants and their servants and on like that, you see. So we have to develop that uh, realization. So, uh, and tomorrow we're going to talk more about uh, the devotees. What's it? The importance of devotees. You know, I think you'll find it enlivening. Um, to just think of uh, the, the good fortune that we have surrounding us. Uh, we have these wonderful people. They're all de- they're devotees. Now, sometimes we may say. Well, I don't know about this, you know. I kind of like 
this devotee or I kind of like that devotee, but I don't like that guy over there. You know, he rubs me the wrong way. <sighs> you see, so we're going to talk about that uh, in more in, in, in more depth. Uh, but briefly, you know, we're talk. Let me make one point about that. I mean, you and I might not get along. You know, you and I, we had an argument. You rubbed me the wrong way. There's something about you that I just don't like. You see, well. If you have stones in a river and they're all rubbing each other the wrong way, you know, they have these stone polishers where they put stones into a, this machine with sand and then uh, I think sometimes they use industrial diamonds and they vibrate it and it causes the stones to move around and they're being rubbed the wrong way. And what happens when you take the stone out? It's polished. It goes from a rough, crude stone to a very a polished, beautiful stone. So uh, we find that even sometimes we misunderstand devotees and we may feel like uh, we don't get along. Actually, that experience makes you a better devotee or it has the potential to if you can realize it, you see. So we have to realize that we're servants of Krishna. We have to realize who are these people that we're uh, associating with how can we serve them and become better devotees? And in the process, we end up uh, being able to consider everything we do and every thought we have and every word we say as an offering to Krishna. We can see things that remind us of Krishna. And for us, it's not just when we come to, uh, when we come to the temple. When we see our fellow devotees, they remind us of Krishna. You see? Even if you may say, well, that guy over there is not very Krishna conscious. How can he remind me of Krishna? Because he's a devotee of Krishna. He's done uh, devotional service. He will remind you of Krishna if you can get over your false ego. So, uh, so I'm going to end here and see if there are any questions. I think we go to, is it 8.30 when we stop? Okay. So if there are any quick questions before breakfast, comments? That's a good question. It's just because he wanted to, you see. Garuda could have handled all those serpents, including Kaliya. He could have done it. It's just like when they were churning the ocean of, of uh, milk. <coughs> they needed that great snake. Uh, Prajapati Prabhu, what was the name of the snake? Vasu. Vasu, yeah. And, but before he could come there, they had to tell Garuda to leave. You know, because the snake can't be here with Garuda here. Cause, and he was a gigantic s snake, you know. So he had to leave so the snake could be there. So uh, why did Krishna do it himself? Because he wanted to. He wanted to have this relationship. See, he could do so much himself. He doesn't need anybody to wash his cloth. You know, he could just take a piece of cloth and just snap his fingers and it's clean. Change it to whatever he wants. He doesn't have to accept any new cloth from anybody. Somebody gives him some new garments. Because he could just 
make them happen out of thin air. He could do all this. And sometimes people think of God like that. But that's kind of an impersonal thing, you see. Krishna wants to have a relationship with you, you see. I know that you're going to be scared to death when you see what I'm about to do. I'm about to jump in this lake with this gigantic snake. And because your love is so deep for me, I'm the only thing that you are conscious of. You're going to feel like your life is over. In other words, you're going to, it's not that he was being mean. He wanted you to taste the love that you have for him by witnessing this pastime. You get to taste this love, and he gets to taste this love that you're having. Now, he's completely safe. Nothing can happen to him. But you don't see it that way. You're like, oh, Krishna, you see. And then the snake wraps around him, and you're, oh, my dear Krishna, out of love, you're feeling, your, your love is front and center right now. It's not theoretical. It's being, it, it's being tested under stress, which is real. And the test of an object is under stress. It's like these speakers here, they don't test them at this volume. They test them at tremendous volume to see if they work. You know, they, when they test a Mercedes, you know, for a new model of Mercedes, they don't test it by driving at 70 miles an hour. They drive at, you know, 150 miles an hour. They want to test and stress every piece of it, you see. So the test of anything is under stress. So the real test of, the, of your love and the actual taste of your love to have it really come front and center is an action like this, you see. And you get to taste your love, and so does Krishna. He gets to feel this love that you have for him and this horrendous, horrible event that's, that's going on, you know. So it's like, uh, it's like if you saw your child being, you know, wrapped around, wrapped up in the coils of a gigantic snake. Oh, you know, but even many billions of, of, of times more so. So Krishna did it for, um, he did it uh, just for his relationship with his pure devotees, to share it. So anything else? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not meaning to, to put them down, but to identify the situation. You know, the situation is that they're basically just, at least they're not Mayavadis. 
at least they're not thinking they're God or thinking there is no God. They realize a God. And so they have faith that there's a God. So that's a great step forward. But to compare their mentality with someone with a mentality like Srila Prabhupada or Srila Bhakti Siddhanta or the gopis, you know, who want nothing from God. They, they want to do for God and don't expect anything. Um, that's true love. True love means I do for you and I didn't expect anything from you. You know, in the material world, I may love you, uh, but I expect you to love me back. I demand it. I'll divorce you if you don't love me back. You do what I want. Now, I'm going to do for you, but I want what I want. You see? Relationships between friends is often like that, you know? Uh, if you don't, uh, if, if, if I can't get some enjoyment from you, like maybe, you know, I like to go to Dallas Cowboy games, and I'm a big fan. And if you like uh, soccer, well, I don't like soccer, well, I can't enjoy that from you, you know? So you're not going to be as big a friend as this person over here. We go to the games together. We have seats together. We get season's tickets, you see? We know all the players, and we know everything. We travel with the team, and you, uh, you're into soccer. I don't know. How can I, how can I identify with you? So you see what I mean? People will associate with people who are, who are like-minded, people who have hobbies, same hobbies. Why? Because I can enjoy you by, I get this, I get, this is what I get from you, you see. People who do intoxication, they associate with people who do intoxication because they can have that relationship. Let's go get high together, you know. Let's go to the football game together. Let's go to the car races together, you see. So, yes, we don't want to make it out like they're low-class atheists. There isn't, they are religious, and it is karma yoga. But it's not bhakti yoga, you see. And it will not take you out of this material world. It'll give you a very nice position, Perhaps even uh, get become awarded the spiritual planets. You know, the highest. Brahmalok, Indralok, you see. Very nice, very good results. But it's those results that they're looking for that taint the love affair. You see, we're striving to be like the gopis, where we just care about Krishna. We have no desire for myself, you know. Does that make any sense? It's just bhakti yoga is the topmost. You see, it's not that we pat ourselves on the back and tell everybody, well, we're better than you. But we have to realize that this system of bhakti yoga is where we want to get people to come to. You know, it's very wonderful that you believe in God. It's very wonderful that you're, that you're making some offering and that you're making, and it's okay that you expect something in return. That's okay. That's uh, of, a, of a higher class, but it's not first class, you see. Not for Goloka Vrindavan. 
See, the, the, the difference in our uh, processes of uh, worshiping God or being conscious of God depends on our destination. If your destination is the heavenly planets, then how can I criticize you for the way you worship? You know what you want, and you're going for it. But if, you're, if you feel that your destination, you want to go to Goloka Vrindavan to associate with Krishna, not Narayan, you know, not any, but Krishna, ah, now we, you have to do bhakti yoga. Yeah. No, he'll take care of all of them. Yeah. Srila Prabhupada, he was asked, uh, we asked him, Prabhupada, what happens to the Christians when they die? Where do they go? Prabhupada said they go to Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, well, where does he, what is, and what then? And Prabhupada says, it's up, to, it's up to him. It's not our business, it's up to him. He may say, oh, you're just, you're very wonderful, I have this, relationship with the God the Father and in you you haven't been so you're going to have a different I don't know we you know we shouldn't speculate but one thing Prabhupada said is that they go to Lord Jesus Christ which means they're saved if you get at his lotus feet that can't be bad <laughs> it's got to be great you see so but, you know, what the process is, uh, we don't know. The process is for her because we know what. Yeah. He may be in the higher platform. He may be in the lower platform. He might come up to that platform as a child. It's only a higher platform. Uh, you know, in the material world, I can say, well, my process is better than your process. But in on the spiritual realm, I can't do that. Now, if you're performing karma yoga... And you're telling me that your destiny, your destination that you desire is Goloka Vrindavan. I'm going to say, well, no, you're wrong. It won't get you there. You see. Now, I, can't, I don't even have the right to say my destination is better than yours. If you say, well, I want to go worship Lord Narayan with great awe and reverence. I don't want to get close to him and play games with him and, take, and herd the cows with him. I just want to worship him with great awe and reverence. Who am I to say, well, I'm, I want to go to Goloka Vrindavan and, and hug Krishna and, and, and bathe him and play with him. So mine's higher. No. It's not. It is to me. But your desire is also respected by Krishna. Yeah, that discussion was the devotee said, I am the most insignificant, and Prabhupada said, you are not the most anything. <laughs> so. All right, let's wrap it up. Thank you so much. Ganataraj Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai.